this morning I want to start off by um, reading out um, a response to an insurance claim by put in by Joe Smith, who was a bricklayer. Uh, bricklayer. He said, "My accident uh, regarding my accident claim. I'm writing in response to your request concerning Block 11 on the insurance form, which which asks for the cause of injuries, wherein I I put trying to do the job alone." Um, you said you needed more informa- information, so I trust the following will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the date of the injuries, I was working alone, laying brick around uh, the top floor of a four-storey building when I realised that I had 500 pounds of brick left. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to put them into a barrel and lower them by a pulley, which was fast- fastened to the top of the building. I loaded the bricks into the barrel and flung it over the side of the building with the bricks in it. I then went down and untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure the slow descent of the barrel. As you will note, on block six of the insurance form, I weigh 175 pounds. Due to my shock at being jerked off the ground so swiftly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Between the second and third falls, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and lacerations of my upper body. Regaining my presence of mind again, I held tightly to the rope and proceeded rapidly up the side of the building and not stopping until my right hand was jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. Despite the pain, I retained my presence of mind and held tightly to the rope. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed now 50 pounds. Again, I refer to your block six, and my weight is 175 pounds. As you would guess, I began a rapid descent in the vicinity of the second floor. I met the barrel coming up. This explains the injuries to my legs and lower body. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent, landing on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, my back was only sprained, but I had internal injuries. I am sorry to report, however, that at this point, again, I lost my presence of mind, and I let go of the rope. As you can imagine, the empty barrel crashed down on me and I promise I will never work alone. Sometimes when we are alone, um, we, it can actually enhance our sense of fear. Um, facing trials alone, um, it can all of a sudden increase fear in our lives. We, we've got no one to, I suppose at times, to sort of just pour ourselves onto and go, I'm not sure what to do. And, and, we, and that panic is we've got to sort of manage it ourselves. Um, at least when you're with other people, someone else may be able to step up. Um, I, I knew this a couple um, oh, years and years ago and it was funny. They, I watched them date and they got married and it was really funny because um, as they got married, because um, we, we're doing youth stuff with them, we do things like messy games. And they, one of them, the husband, couldn't stand anything um, revolting or anything like that. So if anything was going to make someone vomit, he couldn't be anywhere near it. And he was like, oh, okay, you're going to have a tough time. He goes, what's worse, can't stand smell, so baby's nappies, and, um, um, and blood sort of makes him almost pass out. And so he goes, oh, well, lucky your wife can sort of will be able to have to handle that. She's no good with it either. I'm going, you guys are going to be in trouble when your parents, like, because it's just you two. You can't sort of call someone else in to, to help out with stuff like that. But the thing is, um, yeah, being alone, um, a- again, increases our fear. And a-, a guy by the name of Reed Lessing tells a story of, of Native, a Native American ritual for training their young men up. On the night of the boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. 
Um, until then, he'd never been taken away from the security's family and the tribe. But on this night, he was also blindfolded and taken miles away from that, that from what from what was familiar to him. When he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of the of a thick woods by himself, and all night long, um, and you can imagine how terrifying that would be. How um, out of his element he must have felt so scared, but. Every time a twig snapped, you probably you could visualise a wild animal about to pounce. Every time an animal howled, you imagine a wolf jumping out. Every time the wind blew, you wondered if there was something more sinister um, that was masking. And no doubt, it was a terrifying night for many. And after what must seem like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. And looking around, the boys saw the flowers, the trees and the outline of the path. But then to his utter astonishment, he beheld a figure of a man standing just a few feet away, a man who had been clothed by the darkness in which he sat, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. He had been there all night long in a lesson of bravery and independence, but it's an important lesson in independence as well, that you aren't alone even when you seem most lonely. And that's where we're going with today. We've covered a lot of ground over the past few weeks and we've talked about some of the challenging ideas when God commands us to fear not. Not at least is the idea that we can be victorious in the battle against fear. See, the flip side of victory, though, is one of us that many of us have also experienced. At times we call it defeat. Other times we, are labelled, um, we label it dis- disencouragement. Either way, these are realities that we experience in the long journey of sanctification and growth in faith. It doesn't mean that we've failed and that we're beyond redemption. Um, it just means that we're human. And because of this, God sent his one and only son to redeem the world so that through him we may have eternal life. And he knew we couldn't get there on our own. There are times we'll experience defeat and discouragement. There are other times and seasons where we'll have growth and depth in our faith, and as the journey of sanctification ebbs and flows, we know that Jesus stays the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is always with you on that journey. You will not be alone. Much like the father of the Indian brave standing in the forest watching over his son all night. Well, up to this point in the last few weeks, we've talked about some very practical ways of dealing with fear. First of all, recognising it. The difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. We've looked at the idea of um, giving it back to God through prayer. So the proper place for fear is in God's hands. And then um, keeping your focus on one day at a time. These are all powerful habits when we come to face, when we face fear that can be developed in our own lives. Add to it a spirit of self-discipline and you start to think you're invincible. So why do you feel at times that you're anything but? Why are there days when we wake up and go, this day is just too much? Maybe we don't even get to sleep the night before because we're worried about the day ahead. Well, this is where Jesus comes and reminds us that you are not alone. And so we want to talk about Joshua and the Promised Land. Like Joshua is um, one of those great books where it takes the Israelites into a brand new phase of their journey with God. So not only Joshua himself, but the people of Israel. Um, last week we talked briefly about the 12 spies and the promised, lands and, uh, promised land in Numbers 13 and 14. And in the middle of the story, a young man named Joshua and Caleb were involved. Um, he, was, he was chosen to succeed Moses in leadership and take God's people into the promised land. 
So for 40 years, Joshua and Caleb had journeyed with the people of Israel. And then all of a sudden, um, or not all of a sudden, it was time for them to, to enter the land. Um, and so the story starts with, uh, there's rather, um, the Bible reading that Amelia read. And the thing is, sometimes again, I think we can read scripture very matter-of-factly. Okay, we read through this. Moses has died and Joshua, now you're the boss. This is what the job I got for you. But you just put yourself in Joshua's place for a second there. All of a sudden, Moses, the one who had come out of the wilderness into Egypt, had shown all these great miracles that had been given the power by God to do and had led the, the slaves of Egypt out and they had become a nation. This nation was reintroduced to their God. They were given a structure for their community. Moses had done so much in that time. In fact, he actually did most of what he did in the first 40 days. It took him about 40 days to go from Egypt all the way to the promised land and then it spent 40 years with wandering around the wilderness because of their faithlessness. And all of a sudden, um, in Joshua 1, it says, Oh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Joshua, um, Moses is dead, you're the boss. Um, Now get all the people ready. We're going to cross over to the land of Jordan and everywhere you go is going to be given to you. And it picks up in verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Now, up until that point, I can imagine Joshua at least having questions, doubts, and maybe some major time, big time fear. Because all of a sudden, Moses, the one that you were with, is now gone. And you've brought us to this point, but you want us to cross over this river and conquer this land. And he says... No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. But then he says this, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All of a sudden, I can see Joshua just resetting everything in his life. Moses' God is now my God. The God who was with Moses every day for the last 40 years is the God who is going to be with me. And the amazing things that God did through Moses' life, now God can do those amazing things in and around my life. We jump to the end of the the book of Joshua a few verses later and it says in verse 9, and this is one of the commands that God has for us. Have I not commanded you? If Joshua needs any reminder... Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In fact, this is not the only time in that passage that God says, be strong and courageous. He's actually said right at the start, I'm going to be with you. I'll never forsake you. You're going to do exactly what Moses did and I'm going to be your God. And then he says a few times, be strong and courageous. And then he says, Have I not commanded you? If you haven't got it yet, Joshua, I've got a command for you to make sure you take this on board because you are going to face giants. You are going to face fortified cities. You're going to face complaining people. But you know what? I am your God and I am with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For me, the Lord your God, this is God saying, I am the Lord your God and I will be with you wherever you go. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Even Joshua had to be reminded 
Even Joshua, the great warrior, even Joshua, the conqueror of, of, of the land, the promised land, had, was reminded by God himself to fear not. And what does God say to encourage Joshua? He says, essentially, you are not alone. You are not alone. I, I think, I, I, especially when you've got big things in front of you, it's great to have a group support idea like, if, if you had to go into a difficult meeting, having a, knowing that you've got people on your side is a good feeling. Um, if you go through a, a difficult situation, knowing people there that support you. Maybe you're, you're, you're doing something and, and maybe you've got to set up for a big birthday party. People come in and help you set up for it. Like whatever, having that group of people there is great. But there are times of life that physically we are left alone. We are alone on, on the other side of a table where we are quizzed by someone about something when you've got a job interview. Maybe when we face situations, maybe we've had loss in our family or loss in our life and all of a sudden we're left alone. But God says, in spite of all those times, I am always with you. You are not alone. And we see this not only with, with Joshua and the promised land, we also see this with Jesus and the disciples. Um, we'll jump into the New Testament, jump into Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. And at the very end of the last verse of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives the disciple a final commission and exhortation out into all the world. Um, so the whole list is go and make disciples. We've got that bit. But then at the end of um, uh, verse 20, he says, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It, again, it's just that repeat of this promise that God is going to go with us. And so even with this one, this one's really great because God is actually promising to be with us as we go make disciples. Um, and the thing is, for some of us, we go, oh, you go into all the world and make disciples. We kind of go, that, that's actually the thing that makes me afraid. Um, that's the thing that makes me a bit uncomfortable. I'm happy for someone else to do it. Um, but God says in the middle of that, when we go out and do that, what do we find? That God is with us. How terrified the disciples must have been to think about sharing the good news of Jesus. When you think about Jesus there, 40 days after he rose from the dead, so it would have been like 43 after he died. So 43 days ago, Jesus is, is executed because he called himself the Son of God. And Jesus says, I want you to go into the world and tell people about me. And all of a sudden, you go, but, but what, what happens to you happens to us. What happens if we get arrested? What happens if we get executed? What happens if they just say mean things about us? Like all that could have happened. And, and so the disciples must have been a little bit scared when it comes to sharing um, the good news with people. And especially without Jesus being physically there. It wasn't like Jesus was standing in the back corner while I go out and share with someone. And, and if someone sort of starts to get a bit bullying with us, okay, do you know this guy over here? He'll come and have a talk to you if you do that again. Like... Jesus wasn't physically there with them. And the thing is, the disciples grew up, grew through that journey with Jesus to have Jesus there all the time. When things didn't work out, what did they do? They ran back to Jesus and said, um, what do we do in this situation? Why didn't this work? Or what happens in this place? And, and Jesus was always there for them physically. And now he's basically saying, I will be with you even to the very end. Has this truth changed after all these years? Has the end of the age happened yet? Well, no, it hasn't changed and the end hasn't come. Jesus is alive and well and he is with you right where he said he'd be. 
No matter what you are facing right now, Jesus said, I'll be with you doing that. I will never leave you. So that brings us back to what, as we wrap up this series, this idea of Jesus and you, Jesus and me. One more point about Jesus. He was always incredibly honest with the disciples, even when they didn't like the truth um, or couldn't understand it. That wouldn't happen to any of us. We, we don't like the truth of God. We always like what God says to us, don't we? And we're, all, we're always knowledgeable about what he's telling us so that we're never confused by what God is wanting to say to us. No matter what God says, God will tell us the truth. Untarnished. Not sort of a soft way. Not something that can be misunderstood. Uh, have you ever, like, there have been times when um, you can misunderstand what someone says to you and, and you, you may emphasise the wrong aspect of what they're saying. And, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe I try and do that with God. It's like God says, this is what I want you to do. This is where the church needs to be going. This is something you need to change. And so what I'll try and do, like this, this is what they tell you in, in active listening, you, you rephrase the question. So God, what I hear you saying to me, and all of a sudden what he's saying to me, I'll kind of lessen it, soften the blow for myself. God, God is not sort of tricked by that. He'll go, no, no, that's not what I said. I want you, when I say, when I, say I want you to be holy, Keith, and I say, God, you want me to be a little bit more holy. No, I don't want you to be a little bit more holy. I want you to be holy. So God, so how much more do I need to do to be holy? What, what, what percentage increase do I need to see in my life? It's not about percentages. It's not about that. It's about being living a life totally surrendered to me. That mean, uh, So how much more do I need to give up? He says, anything I ask you to. So God is not going to sort of hide those things for us. He's not going to make it hard for us to find the truth. Um, and let's turn to one of, the, um, one of those moments where Jesus actually shared the truth in the Gospel of John chapter 16. And a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that you may... Um, so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart or be encouraged. I have overcome the world. So Jesus was foretelling his crucifixion. And he was saying there's going to come a time that you are going to leave me alone. Now the disciples probably would be a little bit insulted to say the least. Peter um, responded differently um, when he was told that he was going to betray Jesus. I'll never do that. He was very adamant about that. But Jesus told them the truth. And after Jesus' arrest and eventual death, the disciples were scattered and many of them went back to their own homes. What an interesting point that he told them that they would leave him all alone, but his Father God would still be with him. The disciples did, not, did exactly what Jesus had promised that they would do, but he, he basically said, I will never leave you like you left me. And what a promise, as he also told them in verse 33, that there will definitely be trouble in this life. I don't know about you, but again, reading, reading some of those scriptures, Jesus says, I tell you this, that in your life that there will be trouble. There will be trials. There will be hard times. But I tell you this so you can be at peace. Wait a second. No, wait a second. No, Jesus, I want to tell you there's going to be good times. It's going to get easier. And that there's going to be like everything is going to be so much better in life. I want you to tell me that so that I can be in peace. No, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to tell you a lie. There is going to be tough times. While you are alive, there could any day come that could change radically. What is the thing that doesn't change? 
the fact that Jesus is there with us. That's where our peace is. That's how we can be encouraged. That no matter what we're about to face, no matter what we're facing right now, that Jesus in the, is in the midst of it with us. Um, we need to be reminded of God's encouragement to Joshua and God's encouragement from, from Jesus himself to not be discouraged and not be afraid because he is with us. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how impossible the odds may seem, we have a promise from God that is bigger and stronger than any giants we may see on the horizon. We stand with the one who has already overcome, the one who chooses to stand with us until the very end of the age. When Jesus added to the habits um, you've been building um, and forming throughout this series, you begin to see how someone like Paul was able to say in confidence in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Such a bold statement. Like I, I'd love to be able to claim that statement in my life, but at times like it's sort of like I'm hoping I get there someday. When you know that the Saviour of the universe is committed to standing with you through every trial, every season, every affliction, literally everything, you walk with a bit more confidence in your step. You've got a tough week coming. It's okay. God is going there before you. There's a little spark in your eye and boldness in, your move, in the moves you make through life. It's not that fear and anxiety and worry and doubt don't exist. Don't sort of go, I don't have any worries anymore because that's not the truth either. It's that they are in the proper place in the capable hands of Christ. So keep recognising the un- unhealthy fear in your life and dealing with it appropriately. Don't worry about tomorrow. Keep your energy focused on today and above all else, Remember that Jesus is with you every step of the way. I can give you the same encouragement the Lord has given throughout the Bible to his people. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Fear not. God and Jesus are always with you and until the very end. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Let's just take some time to pray. Lord, as we come here today, again, we can thank you for your constant presence. In our, and help in our lives. Help us to trust in the realities of your commitment to, to each one of us as your people, as your family, and as your church. Give us courage to walk boldly through life knowing that you walk with us. And Lord, this week, you know the trials that we are about to face. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't. But let us face each day at a time in the presence of Jesus, placing our fear into your hands and knowing that we need not fear not. So Lord, I just pray this in your name.